So today we're talking about this idea of suffering glory. It sounds like such a weird thing to say that we would suffer glory anyway. What, is that, what does it mean? I, I, I think it's, the reason I felt inclined to make that the title is because it's all about the glory of Jesus Christ. Like if you look back to the early church, they're living in the afterglow of all the glory of Jesus Christ. Like that's where they're finding their purpose and their being. But then we will see today, because we read like Acts 2 where the Holy Spirit falls, you know, we read where Jesus taught for 40 days and ascended to heaven, we read all these things, but then there's this kind of happily ever after narrative that many of us kind of automatically buy into. We say, and they were happily ever after, right? But the truth is that as much as God's glory fell on the people of God, they began to have some difficulties. And we know that in our lives, our ultimate call is to glorify God, right? So to kind of package it a little bit and then we'll get into the word today. What does this really look like? What does it look like to suffer glory? I mean, it's not lost on me that today is Mother's Day. I was talking to a friend of mine and I said, we were talking about parenting and having children and we said that you have to have some kind of amnesia to do that more than once. Not not make babies, but have babies. <laughs> because if you recall, most conversations, whenever a wife is delivering a child that her and her husband have conceived together, it's usually like, you did this to me, right? This is your fault. <laughs> you are useless. <laughs> Maybe that wasn't the same for you. That's how it was for me, okay? <laughs> you feel pretty useless, and it's one thing to go through that once and go, okay, I did that. We did it once, um, right? That's it. We're, 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 and usually that's where the that conversations go right, right afterwards. Whew, well, that's over, and we're never doing that again. And then some time goes on, and you're like, oh, this is so, so nice. And, and then a few years go by, and one of you looks at the other one and says, you know what we should do? We should have a child because you forget how much suffering is involved. <laughs> Some of you are grandparents, and you say, oh, it's the best time of your life. Having babies is so fun. That's only because you've forgotten how much suffering there is. No, I'm, I'm ready to. <laughs> but there are some things like that that we go, wow, it's, it's hard, but it's good. Right? Like, it's worth doing. And that's what we're going to talk about today as we read the scriptures together. Our primary call, listen, if your mom, dad, son, daughter, like whatever your life is, your primary, you may not even agree with me on this, by the way, but your primary responsibility in life is to glorify God. And a lot of times that might involve some suffering. I'm going to ask you to do what we always do. We're going to pray together. We're going to read some scripture. And we're going to talk about some things that we find in scripture this morning. So pray with me if you are inclined. Father, we thank you so much for a chance to be in your house. Our good, good father, the one who made us and who knows us, Indeed, who knit us together in our mother's womb, the glory is too much for us to understand. But we give you thanks and praise. I was reminded by a friend of mine this week, Father, that we did not ask for this life nor deserve it, but you gave it to us. You've given us this life to live. We pray that today we would uh, learn more about that life, learn more about you and who you are. May you be glorified. May you be glorified, Father, through your people today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. We claim no wisdom of our own, 
I certainly claim no wisdom of my own, Father, but from your inspired word, from you, our great teacher, from your sovereign anointing of our souls that we could learn. Help us to learn today, Father, for your glory and for the good of your people. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, cool. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4 today. We're picking up where we left off last week. It's on page 760. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, there should be Bibles on the table somewhere, I think. So you can grab a Bible off the table. And we're just going to read through a few verses here and then talk uh, through this. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 5. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Ananias, the high priest, Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, and are asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone that you builders rejected, which has now become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of John and Peter, and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing that they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw to the Sanhedrin and then confer together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone in Jerusalem knows that they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further amongst the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again, and they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, because we cannot help speaking about what we, what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what happened. Because the man who had been miraculously healed was over 40 years old. So we have this follow-up story. If you were here last week, you remember there was this miraculous story where this guy who was lame from birth, couldn't walk, was healed. And if you haven't read that story, go back and read it, right? It's a pretty quick read. Um, but he was healed in the name of Jesus Christ. We talked about that. By the way, if you didn't, if you weren't here for that, you can listen to our website as well because it's worth hearing that story about, you know, what God does uh, when there's like no other hope, like the way God moves, the things that he, the, the way he presents himself amongst his people as the only sure hope. But you'll remember last week, and it was a subtle footnote to the story, but after this great, amazing healing that happened, right? I mean, that was an amazing thing that happened where he said, Peter said, get up and walk in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. They end up in the temple courts 
getting seized and put in jail. It's, it's so casually mentioned. It's, it's in verse 3 if you want to read it. They seized Peter and John because it was evening and they threw them in jail until the next day. They didn't know what to do with these guys. So they locked them up. This brings me to our first point. And it might not be super obvious, but hopefully we'll see this. Um, by the grace of God, I would say, in Scripture, and that's this. Don't panic when you're suffering. Don't panic when you're suffering. You see, it could, it could, you, th this is Peter and John. They aren't, they aren't extraordinary men. They're just people who knew Jesus. But in the middle of this uh, great outbreaking of the Holy Spirit, in the middle of being anointed and, and seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ and all this growth happening in their lives, in the middle of all these great, great things, they're thrown in jail. They're thrown in jail. It says it in verse 3. And then look at verse 5 so you know, like, I want to lay out a little bit for you, maybe some context for Peter and John, okay? Verse 5, the next day, that's after they've been in jail all night, waiting to see what they're going to do with them. It says, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law, that's the scribes, met in Jerusalem and started deciding. And there's these two names, there's four names here. Annas, the high priest, was there, and Caiaphas. John and Alexander, and then all the high priest's family. Why is that a big deal? Well, if you've read some of your Bible, you may know that back in John 11, it's Annas and Caiaphas who are beginning to plot against Jesus. And do you know why? Because he raised Lazarus from the dead. And after that, if you read in John 11, after Lazarus raised from the dead, they say he has to be stopped. This man is causing great trouble, and their two concerns are that, they're going, that their, um, their oppressors will come down on them because they're proclaiming some new kingdom, some new authority, and secondly, all the religious power they have is going to be gone. They're not going to have any, everything that we know. They say basically that they're going to destroy our temple because of the insurrection, and we're going to have nowhere to worship anymore. That's their concern. Well... If that's not enough to make you think about how serious this is that Annas and Caiaphas are confronting uh, Peter and John and throwing them, throwing them in jail, try this on. It was Annas and Caiaphas in John 18 who had, who, um, when Jesus was betrayed in the garden, remember he was betrayed in the garden? He was captured and he was taken to their courts to be questioned by them. So, one way you might say it is that, as far as we know, the last time Peter and John saw these guys, other than maybe in the temple courts like in passing, was when they were getting ready to have Jesus crucified. As a matter of fact, one more little layer of context here. The last time, and this will come up in a minute in the text, but the last time that Jesus was being brought to Annas, and then uh, Caiaphas's courts, remember that? They were, they were beating him and slapping him and moving him around and asking him questions about who he said he is. Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? And in the middle of all that, Peter's there. And you remember what he's doing? I don't know that guy. I don't know that guy. So those dudes who were around, I say dudes, that's pretty casual. They were high priests. It's a big deal, right? These were guys with authority and power. These guys had grabbed hold of Peter and John and threw them in jail and said, what are we going to do with them? Like, they have charge over these guys. I don't know. The text does not say what Peter and John were feeling at night in prison. But I can't imagine, having seen what happened to Jesus Christ just before, right, that they, that they weren't concerned about their well-being at that point. 
it seems to me that they don't panic. There's nothing recorded that says that, that I know there's a lot, like it's hard to say what's not in the Bible, but I mean, it doesn't, there's nothing about, I think I would be a little panicked. Matter of fact, many times in our lives, whenever um, opposition comes in our life, whether it's in our parenting, whether it's in our life, whether it's in our work, we, 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 the minute there's some opposition, we panic about it. What's happening? And we can freak out. Well, they had a good reason to freak out, and they didn't freak out. So they ask him a question. So they have this authority. They have Peter and John in verse 7 brought before them, and they begin to question them. And this is what they ask. By what power or what name did you do this? If you think about it, here's Peter's chance 2.0. <laughs> How did you do this, Peter? Which is clearly a miracle. How did you do this miracle? They're asking Peter that question. And then look at what the, look at what the word says. Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said. Do you remember he was filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter? They all began to speak in tongues and in languages and everyone could hear them and the gospels proclaimed and people were coming to faith. I mean, Peter's full of the Holy Spirit. It's part of the key, I think, in, to his not panicking. It's hard to panic in life when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. So what's he, what happens? He begins to speak. Verse 8. Rulers and elders of, of, the, of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel. So he's like, I want you rulers to know, and I want all the people of Israel to know that this is what the answer to your question is. And he says this, It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Not the same Peter, is it? He's a different guy now. You want to know how this was done? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, now, a couple of things, and I'm going to put some, I'll put a slide up here, but basically here's the deal. Opposition is opportunity. You see, it could have been easy for Peter to freak out and say, oh, what are we going to do? You know, Peter and John, how are we going to move on now? No, this is the moment, right? Like, Peter's like, the table is set. You want to know how this happened? I'm going to tell you exactly how this happened. He does two things. He repeats exactly what happened to begin with. Do you remember what he said to the beggar at the gate? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I say to you, walk. So when they come and they say, hey, what happened? He's not telling some convoluted story. I don't know. We were at a certain. He says, it was in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's how it happened. He gives absolute, full attribution to the miracle to Jesus Christ and his holy name. But there's more. Do you notice that these guys, I didn't talk about this, but you notice that Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, right? And then this guy, John, was in the Sanhedrin. Annas and Caiaphas were Sadducees. And the Sadducees, I believe, were the ones that didn't, they had a problem with resurrection. They didn't think he'd be raised from the dead. That's why they got upset about Lazarus to begin with. <laughs> you can't raise people from the dead. And now they're walking around saying, Jesus raised from the dead. And this is a huge problem. And I want to mention that because look at what Peter says. He doesn't just say it's the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that this was done. He said, whom you crucified, but whom God raised 
from the dead. Opposition's opportunity. Oh, you have a problem with resurrection? Well, that's a problem because God raised Jesus from the dead. Like, he just goes right at it. And then he goes on to expound from Scripture. That's how this man was healed who stands before you. This man, not the man who's healed, but Jesus, is the chief uh, that you builders rejected, which is the capstone. He's the point of it all. He says, this is a moment... And I want to be careful here, right? Because I'm not sure. I don't want to over-attribute to Peter wisdom he did not have. I want to chalk this up instead to God's divine sovereignty. Let me explain that for a minute. I say, uh, opposition's opportunity. Who wants to face opposition in life? Like, hardly anybody. Who wants to face hard times? Hardly anybody. But the truth is that in God's sovereignty, those times bring about a moment of glory that only he can be recognized. Or at least it's an opportunity to potentially recognize him. I don't know if you've had this experience in your life where you've gone through hard things. I don't know if you've had times of of hardship. But I'm struck by the fact that in the moment where Peter could be shaken in his boots, he could be terrified of what these two are going to do to him like they did to his Savior, Jesus Christ. I know, see, it's that thing, right? You say, well, they know he is raised from the dead. Yeah, but do you want to die on a cross? They saw what happened last time, right? And so in this moment where they could have been quaking in the boots, Peter says, wait a minute, this is a chance to preach the gospel. And he says, not only Jesus, this is Jesus Christ, he says, and it's the man that you put to death and that God raised from the dead. And that's how this guy is healed. And he takes the opportunity of opposition to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to kind of give you two applications, I think, here. How we can, I could see, it's not about like hearing the Bible story and remembering the Bible story. And all that. I Like, how do you really live out Christianity in your life? Like, how do I really live out Christianity in my life? What does it look like? I have two ideas here. The first is that in moments of opposition, when that thing happens that you didn't see coming, you can take the opportunity to literally proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That might sound weird, right? You're running along in life, everything's going awesome, and then some tragedy besets you. Bang! You don't even, you don't see it coming. You're not ready for it. You're just knocked off your feet, and you, you kind of take a deep breath. You're like, what am I supposed to do? In that moment, you can begin to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It would be such a radical departure from our constant nail-biting and worrying and anxiety and fear and terror that we experience to say, wait, do you know that God sent his son to die for the sins of the world? Do you know that he died for you and for me? And you, and you might say, well, that, you'd be amazed. How do you know that that's not the moment that God had placed you there to preach the gospel in the moment? Peter could have been very worried about himself here. But he's like, you know what? This is the moment. I'm going to preach the gospel right now. If this is the last thing I do, I'm going to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the first thing you might do. The second thing you might do is this. Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to yourself. (laughs) You're going through a hard time. You hear that voice in your head. You screwed up again. You've made a mistake. There's no way this is going to come out right. You're worried about your kids, you know. These kids are off in the ditch. Man, what if their life's a mess? Preach the gospel to yourself again. Oh, wait. 
God so loved the world that he sent his only son that we might believe in him and be saved. Even a wretch like me, even a sinner like me can be saved. So we can proclaim the gospel in moments of adversity, and we can proclaim it to ourselves. We can apply it, I guess I would say, the gospel. Wait, 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 wait. Before I freak out, Jesus died for my sins. Oh, wait a minute. He died for the sins of the whole world. I just want to encourage you in it. I'm not talking like weak theory, but real practicality. Try it. Don't know what to do. You feel that anxiety coming up? Proclaim the gospel. So powerful. And how do you know that that's not the moment that God has appointed for his glory? I mean, so many of us believe that we know better than God. How do you know? Well, Peter does it. And he says this. Verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else because there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. You can imagine in this moment in the temple courts, I'm sure that these leaders, these high priests, they had all kinds of problems going on. All kinds of widow issues, all kinds of sacrifice issues, all kinds of problems with the overlords that were ruling over them and dominating them, you know, from Rome. All these kind of things that are happening, they're just being put upon. They have a million things to worry about. And Peter's like, wait, there's something different and unique about Jesus. And he says it so succinctly. He says two things here. If you look at your Bible, there's two things that Peter states unequivocally. He says, there's no one else in whom salvation is found. Sometimes we, we read that and we read it like salvation is the noun. You know what I mean? Like salvation is the point of that. No, the person is the point of that. The person's the point of that. Peter says to them, you can spend the rest of your life looking for someone to save you and it's not going to work because the person can't save there is no one else where salvation is found. Not one. In the Greek, it's a double negative. It says, not, not any. No one is salvation. The reciprocal claim is that Jesus Christ is salvation. It's kind of funny to me how queasy we get about this sometimes as Christians. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I know you, you don't really agree with that. And hey, you... You do you. Like, what a tragic message. If salvation is found in no one else, what a, what you say, like a dishonest conversation. If salvation is found in no one else. That's the first thing he says, that, that there's no other person where salvation is found. But then the second thing he says this, there's no other name under heaven Given to men, I love all those, what are those called? I'm, I'm not going to English, but those um, like clauses. <laughs> There's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Look at that. Peter's in the boat with us. He didn't say no other name. You must be us. There's no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. So not only did he say that there's salvation found in no other person, but there's no other name. No other name. Jesus is uniquely required. So I have a question then for you today. Where do you fall on that? 
I mean, I mean, seriously, for a minute, let's just think about it. Are, are you kind of going, yeah, Jesus is good, amongst other things, <laughs> you know? I mean, do you believe what Peter's saying there is true? That there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved? It doesn't say which we can be saved, which we must be saved. There's no other name. Do we think, you know, Lance said something to this morning about honor your father and your mother. I mean, do we think that it's dishonoring to the Father in heaven when we don't acknowledge the name of his holy and given, like, righteous son, Jesus Christ? Do we think that dishonors him? Or we think, ah, he's okay. Most importantly, listen, all that stuff aside, what are you counting on for salvation in your life? What are you counting on? Do you think, like, uh, I'm going to try and be a good person. <laughs> um, I'm going to try all the religions, and I'm going to pick the best one that makes the most sense for my lifestyle. <laughs> um, I'm going to find some people, whether they're Christians or not, and hopefully they'll be Christians, that all agree with my sin so that I don't have to deal with it. Then, then I'll be okay. Or... Do you believe that there's no other name under heaven given to men by which you and I must be saved? That there's no other person ever where salvation is found. It's an exclusive claim. And I actually would say it trips us up on purpose because it's supposed to trip us up. We're supposed to object in our flesh to that. We're supposed to say, oh, no, I want my own way. He says, no, this is the way. Let me remind you, he's speaking to religious leaders, to authorities, and to those who are the writers of the word. And he says this, there's no one else. So Jesus is uniquely required. It's the most important question you'll answer, by the way. No matter what else I say in this message, that's the question that you have to wrestle with in your life. Do you believe that Jesus is salvation? So check this out, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, that's the rulers in the Sanhedrin, those folks who were hanging around judging them, and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were amazed, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's when they're like, oh, wait a minute, we've seen this before, right? This is, this is interesting, but credentials are irrelevant, right? Credentials are unimportant. What I, I want to dig in just for a second. It says, when they saw the courage, the word there could be boldness. By the way, we'll talk about this in a minute, but boldness is a freedom and confidence of speech. It's freedom and confidence of speech. You see, Peter wasn't afraid anymore to say what he thought was true. And whenever the rulers saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they realized, they were aware that they were unschooled, ordinary men, right? We're getting ready to have graduation for a lot of our students, a lot of our high school students and some college students are going to be graduating this time of year. And one of the biggest myths, I think, out there is we say, when I get my degree, then I will finally fill in the blank. <laughs> you know, I'm going to succeed. I'm going to be valuable. I'll get the job. I'm going to be successful. I'm, I'm going to move on to the next part of my life. But the powerful thing I think about this is it says that God can use you right where you are, right as you are. 
in a far more powerful way than anything you could manufacture through your own edu- education. I'm not saying education is unimportant, but get this. The word here where it says they were ordinary, uneducated men, the, the root word is agraphy, which means to write. So likely they couldn't read nor write. And they're talking to the people who write the law. And they're schooling them. Why? Listen, this is so annoying. (laughs) Because their credentials don't matter. Our credentials don't matter. Not with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were unschooled, ordinary men. Now, I'm not against education. You know that if you know me. I love education. But get this. How often do we try in our culture to assert false authority by some external means? Let me give you some examples. You go to a big, tall building. You pay a whole bunch of money. And you see a guy or a girl in a white coat. Oh, they have a white coat on. (laughs) It's authority, right? They got a degree on the wall. Wow, they've studied. They know what they're doing. I can trust them with this, right? Or uniforms. You know, we see someone show up at our door and they're in uniform. Okay, that changes things, doesn't it? Versus jeans and a t-shirt. But in this case, it says they were unschooled ordinary men. There was nothing outwardly that would cause them to give them their attention, but they were amazed by their boldness, their courage. And here's the point. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. I said earlier it's a little annoying, and here's why. Because it truly means that God can use anyone to do anything he chooses to do, no matter their qualifications. (laughs) So you can see something happening awesome that God is doing in someone's life, and you're like, they didn't even earn that. Yep. They didn't even study for that. Yep. They, they, they They were just in the right place at the right time. Yep. That's exactly right. Unschooled, ordinary men and women proclaiming the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our credentials aren't important. How often do we cling to those things? Well, I'm the pastor of the church, or I'm, 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 I'm a missionary, or, or uh, I've been a believer for 40 years. We claim all these false models of authority that have nothing to do with the truth, which is that Jesus Christ is the engine that drives everything forward. Don't believe the lie that you can't be used because God uses unschooled, ordinary people all the time. How do you do it? If credentials aren't important, how can you be used by God? Here's what I want to say. Spend time with Jesus. Just be with Jesus. Like, that's what it says. They knew that these men had been with Jesus. They took note of that fact that these men had been with Jesus. That's what made a difference. Not their qualifications, not their credentials, but the time they spent with Jesus. How do you do this? In prayer. Spend time with Jesus praying. I've talked to people and they've said, I prayed and prayed and prayed and nothing's happened. I'm just pr- I've never prayed so much in my life. And I'm like, praise God. <laughs> You've never prayed so much in your life. How awesome is that when we're suffering glory? Or um, study the Bible. I, I said to you, and if you, I mean, the entire book is written about Jesus Christ. So spend some time. Always say, yeah, I, I know, right? The pastor's going to say, pray and read the Bible, right? Um, contemplate these things. 
Like, think about it when you're out in your life every day. Don't just leave the Bible at home on the shelf, right? But, like, get it in your brain, in your heart, in your mind, and be ruminating on it. What does that mean? You're driving in traffic. You got nothing to do. Talk to God about things. God, what does that mean? Contemplate it. And then the last thing is to commit. You know, Jesus, I'm going with you. Whatever, Wherever you go, I'm going to be with you. Commit to that. It's that thing that Peter said that Jesus is uniquely required. All right. Pressing on, verse 14. But since they could see the men who had the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing that they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin. That's the council who was kind of making these decisions so they could confer together. This is the conversation they had. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem, listen to the word, knows they have done an outstanding miracle. And we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading further amongst the people, we must warn these men, and by the way, the warn there means threaten, not to speak any longer in this name. Here's the truth. Our lives are undeniable. You know, there's this um, charge against the people of God to say, uh, you're a hypocrite. That's one of the easiest charges to make. Well, you're a hypocrite. You know, you know how you're not a hypocrite? Live out your faith. <laughs> Do what you say you believe. And I'm not preaching at you. I'm talking with you, right? I'm in that same boat. Do what I say I believe. Because our lives are undeniable. That's what's happening here with these rulers. They see the man healed. If they didn't have to deal with the guy who's been healed, who had been there for 40 years at the gate, they could wipe, write this thing off. They could just like wash over and say, ah, this is an anomaly. But there he is, his, his living confrontation. In the same way, Peter and John, their lives become a testimony. See, I was thinking like, oh, you preach something, right? But they live it out. They don't know what's going to happen to them. But they live out their convictions. The good work that was standing before them could not be denied. So they have this plan. So that this whole thing can stop here, let's threaten them that they can no longer speak to anyone in his name. That's all they want to stop. Just stop talking about Jesus. Just stop talking about Jesus. Do you have friends like this? Just stop talking about Jesus. Maybe you don't even know. Maybe you do that to yourself. I just can't talk about Jesus here. And you just we just stop talking about Jesus. They made one wish. Maybe right now you're just that's your prayer. Would he just stop talking about Jesus? That's the plan. The plan to stop it is just to get them to stop talking about Jesus. If they can get them to stop talking about Jesus and talk about anything else, we're fine. But don't let them talk about Jesus anymore. This is the plan. What happens? Verse 18. They called him back in. All right, we made a decision. And they commanded them. Now there it goes. They commanded them to not speak or not teach in the name of Jesus ever again. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether we should be obedient to you or obedient to God. Verse 20. I love it. Verse 20. Because I can't help. No, because we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We can't stop talking about Jesus. See, here's the last point. Opposition calls for boldness. 
A lot of times we face oppositions, we think, oh, we should run away and hide. We should pull back. You know, these guys got authority. They, they've killed Jesus. We don't necessarily want to die again. And, and they're like, you know what? And they go, no, this is the time to double down. We cannot help but to speak about all we have seen and all we have heard. And then in verse 21, after further threats, they, they had let them go. They could not decide how to punish these guys. Why? Because all the people were praising God for what was done. So there's this glory outbreak. Like people are glorifying God for everything that's happened. Because the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Now listen to this. Verse 23, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and they told them everything the chief priests had said. These guys are like a disclosure thing, right? They're like, you won't believe what just happened. And they begin to tell them the story of what just happened. When they had heard this, and I, I'm going to end with this, but I want you to hear. When they had heard all these things, they shared these things, they raised their voices together to, in prayer to God. Do you see what it says? After this opposition and this dangerous situation and this opportunity to preach, they said, you know what, guys, I'm so glad to be back. Let's pray. They raised their voices together and they said these words, Sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord. The word is despot, despota. It's like absolute ruler. The one who's in charge of everything. You know, you heard him say, Abba, Father, or all these other things to attribute. They say, Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, they're still praying, by the way. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and your will had decided beforehand must happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Oh, come on, church. And enable your servants to speak your word with boldness. <laughs> That's the prayer at the end of a season of opposition. Father, would you make us bold in this moment? Listen to the next prayer. Verse 30. Stretch out your hand and heal. Perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your servant Jesus. Like at the end of this whole thing, what did John and Peter learn? Double down on Jesus. God, these people are making a mockery of you and they're threatening us. Would you do something awesome? Would you show up in a powerful way and heal more people? This is the proclamation of the gospel. This is the confidence they have in Jesus Christ. Would you help us to preach it more boldly? Not less. They want to hear less of Jesus. Help me be more bold for Jesus. And look at verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Just, he just rattled, right? Have you ever, I've not been in a room that's been rattled by prayer. I'm going to be really honest with you. I've never been in a room that's been rattled by prayer. I haven't. Have you? They're seeking out the holiness of God and the place was shaken because of God's holiness, because of his presence, because of his people, because of their seeking. And they were all, and look at what the word says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they, spe they spoke the word of God boldly. 
Like they're just going, yes, this is true. Don't be afraid of the world. Keep preaching it. All the believers were of one heart and one mind. This is reiteration, by the way, from Acts 2. No one claimed that any of his possessions were his own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, that's dunamis, ability, the apostles continued to testify to the what? Resurrection of the Lord, that's ruler, Jesus. And much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. And from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them off, brought the money in from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as they had need. Holy boldness. Holy boldness. So what I want to encourage you in today, I said it, the most important thing is, who are you counting on for salvation? Like, all, all joking aside, like, for real, in your private, quiet life, do you believe that Jesus is uniquely qualified to save? And then, who are you proclaiming? Whose name are we running under? Are we doubling down on Jesus? There's no other name. There's no other way than the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to pray with us. I want to pray together. But I want us to think about, again, what's that thing in your life that you want to see God do? You know? Like, what's that thing that you think is impossible? That you begin to get cynical like the world and say, man, that's never going to happen. I'm just wore out trying to make it work. Like, what's that thing that just right now is burning in your heart and you're like, and you're going, man, don't even talk about it because I'm tired of talking about it. I don't want to think about it. I want you to bring that. I'm going to bring it. I want you to bring that thing before the throne of God right now. I just want you to bring it with everything, with all the fear and all the anxiety and all the hope and all the, you know, passion. I just want you to bring it to God and say, with me, in the name of Jesus Christ, I want to see your glory in that situation. For your glory, God, would you do something awesome? Pray with me if you would. Father God, it's your house. It's your house. We have the same confession that Peter and John had. You made the heavens and the earth. You made the sea and everything in them. Your name is above all names. Father God, for the fact that we've taken Jesus and put him on the shelf with a whole bunch of other people who are completely unimportant, and we've equivocated in so many things, Father God, would you bring glory in the name of Jesus Christ? Father, would you help us? And if there are brothers and sisters here today, the people that you've made, that you knit together in mother's womb, to know you and to respond to you and to live in this space, which is scary sometimes, Father, but if there are people here today that don't believe in you for salvation, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, they would be convicted to the truth of the gospel. Father, not because of me or anything that's happening here at Family Bible, because of you and who you are, that today, whatever reason they came here, they had a holy and powerful encounter with you. That you'd be glorified in their life, that they could be surrendered unto your purpose. Maybe drawn back to you after years or hurts or whatever it is, for your glory. Father, I pray, Father, that every person would recognize you as sovereign, those times in our life, we're caught unaware and we just want to throw up our hands and say, oh, what, what can we do? That we would, no, wait, there's someone in charge and it's you. And to be so emboldened 
be so emboldened like our brothers who are ordinary people to come to your throne and say, God, I'm getting pushed back from the world. Would you do something awesome for your glory? The world wants to see less of Jesus. I want to see more of Jesus. The world wants to hear less of the gospel. I want to hear more of the gospel. Father God, would you fill us with boldness and the power of the Holy Spirit. We love you so much, Father. And we say it every day. But we never, may we never take it for granted. We bring these things before you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, drawn together in one mind under Jesus Christ. And we pray it in his holy name. Would you do it for his namesake in this place? Amen.